Good. Well, good afternoon again. And uh, welcome if you're visiting us. Good to have you here today, to, this afternoon. Please have your Bibles open at Luke chapter 8 so that we can uh, follow along together. If you need a Bible, there's some on the back table just there. Just go and grab one. No problem at all. Um, and we are at verse 40. Now, where do you turn when everything goes wrong? Where do you turn when everything is desperate, when you're feeling lost and helpless uh, and kind of in despair? Last week, remember, we were thinking about our fears and and how we kind of manage our fears. What happens when those fears are realized? What happens when they come true? Maybe we throw ourselves into our work. Maybe we kind of keep calm and carry on and and try and distract ourselves from the, the really hard things that are happening. Maybe we try and turn to something that's going to kind of numb the pain. Whether it's too much alcohol, binging on food, just watching TV show after TV show after TV show, shopping, more shopping. There's all sorts of things, aren't there, that, that we, can, we can turn to that, that aren't really going to help. But the reality is that life can be really hard. And maybe that is your experience here this afternoon. You've, you've come in and you're feeling desperate and you're in need of help. And even if actually you're thinking, oh, I'm, actually, I'm all right at the moment. I've had, I've had a good week. Are you thinking, well, what about when those times do come? What about the hard times? Are you prepared for those difficult moments in your life? Some, sooner or later, we're going to experience hard things and painful things because the world around us is broken, because we are broken. We are sinful. Well, there is good news for us this afternoon. Uh, just like we saw last week with our fears, Jesus is the only one who can help when we are in desperate situations. And that's what we're going to see uh, today. If you were here last week, we were looked at the stories just before. We, we saw Jesus calming a storm uh, and bringing the disciples kind of through this incredible storm uh, and then healing a demon-possessed man who was in real, uh, a really desperate position himself. And he re- it, it was revealing himself as the Son of God, as the Lord of all, uh, and really incredible. But, but I guess it, it just leaves the question, well, what comes next? What happens after that? And that's what we see in our passage today, we, he crosses back over the lake and we meet two desperate people, two people in desperate needs. Look at verse 40 again. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying picture the scene you've you've been following this incredible man this amazing person called Jesus who has been teaching things like you've never heard before doing incredible miracles he's got great power to to heal and change lives Uh, but he disappeared he'd gone across the lake with his disciples and you're kind of wondering well what's going to happen next and you see this boat appear on the horizon and coming back across the water Uh, maybe that's him and you run to the water's edge yes here he is Jesus is back and just imagine being part of that crowd that, that rushes to him, ready to hear more, ready to see more amazing things that Jesus does. But before, before long, into that crowd comes someone maybe you wouldn't expect to see there. Isn't that Jairus? Isn't that Jairus, the synagogue leader? Someone really important coming through the crowds and falling at Jesus' feet. What's that? He was, you know, a, a pillar of society one of the key people in in that place. And here he is on the floor 
in front of Jesus, desperate, in desperate need, begging Jesus, please come to my house. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. Now let me tell you as a parent, there's nothing worse than when your children are sick uh, and you feel a bit helpless. You know, we've, we've never been in a particularly hard situation, but you know, just trips to hospital and that sort of thing. You, you feel helpless. You would do whatever it takes to, to, to help your, your child get better. And that's what that, this man's doing. He's got no pride at this point. He's in desperate need. He thinks Jesus is my only hope. He comes quickly, falls at Jesus' feet. And Jesus agrees to go with him. And the, uh, the crowd follow. You see that, verse 42? As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there, had, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. It's a really packed crowd. So one of those horrible, sort of claustrophobic ones, you know, where you can't really move. There's too many people, they're too close together. But somewhere in that crowd was a, another desperate person. You see what it says? Someone completely on the opposite end of, of the social spectrum, on the edge of society, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. As long as Jairus' daughter had been alive, this lady had been suffering and bleeding and in really desperate situation. It might have been threatening her life over the years, but in that society, it was more than just a physical thing. It, anyone with a discharge of blood was considered to be unclean which meant you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't take part in public worship, you couldn't even touch other people because that would make them unclean as well. So this situation made her an outcast. Can you imagine that? 12 years with no respite, no change, no help. No wonder she was desperate. No one could heal her. There was no NHS, no one to kind of to just provide in that way. She, you know, using up all her money, trying to find someone who could help her. And frankly, the medicine probably was, you know, some of them might have made things worse rather than better. So we see these two people. They're both in desperate need. Complete edges, the complete end, different ends of society. You would never see them in the same room normally. But they're drawn to Jesus. You see, Jesus is their last hope. Their only hope. Because there's something different about him. And we see, don't we, he has time for them both. Two desperate people but one caring and powerful saviour. Verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing around you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know power has gone out from me. It's an incredible moment, isn't it? She sort of pushes her way through the crowds, Imagine if people had realized who she was, they would, have, they would have pushed her away. They didn't want to be unclean themselves. And he just touches the edge of her cloak. Sorry, she touches the edge of his cloak. Just a small thing. And you see what happens? Immediately, immediately, after 12 years, the bleeding stops and she is healed. That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus did what no one else could do for her. But then Jesus stops. And looks around and says, well, who touched me? And the crowd maybe goes quiet and says, what, what's just happened? <laughs> I love Peter in this moment. You can imagine it, can't you? Peter sort of, one of Jesus' closest followers, sort of looking a bit awkwardly going, um, uh, Jesus, you've, loads of people are touching you right now. You're in the middle of a crowd. You know, people are pressing against you. Loads of people are touching you. What are you talking about? 
Why, why would you say something? That's a really strange thing to say. But Jesus knows something has happened, doesn't he? He knows power has gone out from him. Who has touched him? Now, I'm sure he knew, as the Son of God, who had touched him, but he was teaching something to the crowd, teaching something important, and teaching something for the, to the woman as well. Verse 47. The woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The healed woman comes, trembling, fearful. You know, she thought that that she could come and be healed and, and just kind of disappear into the crowd again so that no one was the wiser. She was used to being on the edge of society. She didn't want to be made a, a big fuss of, I guess. But Jesus had a better plan, didn't he? You see what happens. He, he calls her and she falls at his feet, just like Jairus did, and tells the crowd what had happened. She explains the difference that Jesus had made to her life. And I think it's just wonderful, isn't it, to see Jesus' response. Her faith in him, the faith that had pushed through that crowd, had trusted that he would succeed where everyone else had failed. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, that, that phrase, it was not used a lot in, in, in the gospel. It shows a real care, a real compassion for this woman, a real intimate uh, way of addressing her. Your faith has healed you. The word is actually often translated, saved you. It's more than just a healing, isn't it? She has been saved, she can go away in peace because she's been made well physically and spiritually. She's been saved from a life of exclusion, of being an outcast. She can become part of things again. She is welcomed by Jesus. She can be welcomed by society again. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's really, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? But I imagine there'd be one person in that crowd struggling with what's going on. Can you imagine what Jairus was feeling at this moment? His daughter is on her deathbed. And she, he's just wait, he wants Jesus to get there. And he stops and he's spending time with this woman and hearing the story and letting the crowd know. Surely that could wait a few minutes, couldn't it? Why didn't Jesus say, well, well look, just, just give me a couple of minutes. I've got somewhere to be and I'll come back and we'll, we'll keep talking. He doesn't do it, does he? He takes the time with this, this lady. But I don't know about you, but I'd be looking at my watch. I'd be tapping my foot. I'd be restless. Like, Quick, come on, we've got to get there. We've got to get to my daughter. Because what happens next is awful, isn't it? Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. The news that he was dreading arrives. It's too late. She's gone. Just let Jesus go on his way. There's nothing anyone can do now. Can you imagine the grief, that the, 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 the awful feeling that must have washed over him in that moment? Why couldn't they have just got there that little bit quicker? Because, of course, healing is one thing, but surely once the person is dead, that, that's it, isn't it? See what happens. Verse 50. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. She will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, the the child's father and mother. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. 
But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Can you imagine? Imagine turning up at a funeral and saying, don't worry, they're not dead, they're asleep. It would be horrific, wouldn't it? It would be awful to, to say that. You can understand the people's reaction as they, as they wail and grieve. They know this girl's life has been lost. They're feeling the pain and the agony of that. And they laugh. It's almost like hysterical laughter, isn't it? Like, how could you possibly say something like that? Death is, is final. It's painful. It's awful. We can't escape it. But we've seen, haven't we? Jesus is the Son of God. Where no one else can, can give us hope. He steps in and he changes everything. My child, get up. And they feed her. That's a wonderful picture, isn't it? When you're dying of sickness, imagine she must have not eaten for for days perhaps. Appetite being restored is a sign of being well, isn't it? A sign of being healthy. She was hungry. She wants something to eat. And no one's laughing now. There's astonishment. Even death itself is no problem for Jesus. He cares. He has the power to do something about it. It's a wonderful account. A tremendous account of God's care and his power. And it's true. We see it in the passage, don't we? And we see what what it means for us. I think the simple thing is this. That we also need the caring and powerful saviour. If we go back to that question I started with. Where do you turn when everything goes wrong? These two people, they had the right idea, didn't they? They, they? they went to Jesus. Jesus, the caring and powerful saviour. And you see, they needed him to be both of those things in order to, for, for him to, to help. Because if he was really caring but not powerful, then he couldn't do anything about it. He might say, oh, I'm really sorry, but there was nothing he could do. If he was powerful but didn't care, well, why would he bother helping them, healing these people? He was both. Together, they work together, don't they? And isn't it reassuring to see that? He knew their situations. He, he felt their pain. He cared for them. He acted. He is powerful to heal, to bring life and hope. And friends, you see, if you are in a desperate moment today, then the right thing to do is to come and fall at Jesus' feet. That's what we should do. Bring the situation before him. Trust him with it. I know of many situations and times where God has, has worked in miraculous ways to, to heal and provide and restore, even today. I know of many times where God calls us to walk through grief and pain and suffering and difficulty, trusting him as we go. But in the midst of those things, he calls us to trust him, to see his care, to see that he is powerful to help us. Actually, I think one really important way that, that he does that, that Jesus displays his power and care today, is through, through the church family around us. He calls us to love one another like he has loved us. He calls us to be there for each other in the difficult moments of our lives. So let me encourage you, if you are feeling desperate this, evening, this afternoon, don't hide away, don't kind of lean out of church and kind of disappear. Lean in, find, find people you can trust. Find people you can, you can share with. And I'm sure that you'll be able to seek their love and support. They they will reflect God's care 
and power and, and love for you. That's one of the beautiful things we can do together as a church family is reflect that care that he shows us. But it's, it, hopefully it's just a reassuring passage to remember, isn't it? Whatever happens, even in the desperate moments of our lives, we can know his care. We can know his love. We, we can know his forgiveness. We can know we are safe because we belong to him. Even if we die, we do not need to fear because of his love and care for us. And that was, that was the experience of my mother-in-law who died last year from, from cancer. Um, as she was dying, Pippa's family discovered that some poetry that she had been writing, perhaps as a way of processing what, what she was going through. And they're incredibly honest but beautiful poems. I'm going to share one with you now. This one was read out at her funeral. Um, and it just kind of reflects the, the faith in the midst of a desperate situation. That's why it's helpful. So let me read this. Six weeks rest and time for healing. Second leg of the journey now begins. MRI and CT scans. Consultant appointments to determine what happens next. Taking it day by day. Trusting in him who knows the way. Encouraged again from all who pray. Blessed with the knowledge of his constant care. No cause to doubt, the outcome already decided. No need to fear, his presence is ever near. With thankfulness I pray for peace and protection. In reality I get much more. To be a child of God, in truth, is indescribable. It's a really wonderful, powerful thing, isn't it? You can imagine, yeah, that it was a wonderful thing to discover. Um, just before she died. But just that faith she expressed, that no fear, trusting in God's care and protection, knowing that she was a child of God. What a glorious testimony to her faith. Uh, and that she knew she needed a caring and powerful saviour and she had that security right to the end. And it was a great testimony to, to share that at her funeral. Many people uh, yeah, were, were moved by her witness there. It's encouraging, hopefully, for us too. We need the caring and powerful saviour, don't we? Day by day. It's true in the desperate moments of our lives. But also it's true every day, isn't it? Every day of our lives. And that was a question that just I was kind of led to consider as I was preparing really. Was, was are we desperate enough? Just day by day about the state of our hearts, about the condition of our lives. Think about the lady who touched Jesus' cloak and was healed. She was desperate physically, wasn't she? But, but Jesus said, no, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. There was that need to be saved, that need to be healed from sin. And that's true for us as well. And are we desperate? Do we feel the desperation of our situation that we need that rescue from sin? It's really easy, isn't it, to play our sin down. Think it's not really that bad. Compared to other people out there, we're doing all right. And we end up just kind of tolerating us and accepting it. Our selfishness, our anger, our lust, our greed, and so on and so on. No, the reality is our sin should grieve us desperately. We should be falling at Jesus' feet, pleading for his help. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That is the reality. That is the reality of our plight. That is the reality of our desperate need. We deserve to die. That's what we need to recognize, isn't it? That's what the depths of our sin means for us. We need help. 
We need someone who cares. We need someone who is powerful to help. We need Jesus. He is the one who who never sinned in the tough moments of life. And yet in love for us. In care for us. He acts in great power to save us from our desperate situation. He gave up his life to save us from death. He was arrested and and falsely accused and beaten and crucified on a cross. He bore the pain and punishment that we rightly deserve for our rejection of him. He took it on himself because we could never do it ourselves. And instead God looks at us, we're given Jesus perfect records and he gives us life. It's glorious, isn't it? This is what we need. We were in desperate need of help. And Jesus does it all for us. Everything we could possibly need. He he takes the the full weight of our sin away. And after dying and and paying for sin completely, in great power, remember, death no longer had a hold on him. He rose again. He is still alive today. We can approach him with great confidence. Desperate, in need of help, but confident that he can do something about it. Just like the people in this passage did. When we come trusting Jesus, we'll be shown mercy and grace and compassion and love from the God who made the universe. Isn't that staggering to consider? It's hard to get our heads around what the mercy of God really looks like, but it's true for us today. If you're not a believer, though, if you're not a believer, then let me just invite you to to, to come home to him today, to say sorry for your sin, to say sorry for the ways you've let God down, Cry out for his help and mercy. Cry out in desperation and find his love, find his loving care. You see that his power, the power of the cross, means you will be safe forever. But for those of us who are Christians, you see we should be praising him and thanking him for his loving care and his powerful action. But surely, I think that what was challenging me in particular was just maybe asking the Spirit to, to, to reveal more and more the desperate situation that my sin leaves me in maybe we need to pray that together that we'd feel that desperation so that we then grasp even more that the extent of God's love for us how vast and high and deep and great it is for us how huge his mercy is for us because when we realize that that he he does it all for us even in the, the most desperate moments of our lives that helps us grow and change and uh and maybe tolerate our sin less put it to death more we want to be changed, don't we, by this good news. The good news of his care and his power. And as we do that, there's one more thing I think this passage helps us see. is that this, that we must tell others about the caring and powerful saviour. That's what we see, isn't it? That when Jesus changes your life, when you see that incredible grace and mercy, when you realise that instead of you were desperate in a helpless situation, suddenly you've been saved and secure and you're loved You can't keep it quiet. The woman in the crowd who was healed, Jesus calls her into the center of the crowd to share her story, to encourage everyone that her faith had saved her. And that's exactly what we see, isn't it? As Jesus, well, later in in the New Testament, after Jesus rose from the dead, his followers, they just could not stop talking about him. There's some verses in Acts, which I love. Um, The the apostles, Peter and John, are called before the kind of Jewish authorities because they've been preaching the gospel. It says this, they called them in 
and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Isn't that a wonderful but challenging thing to, to see? The disciples, their lives were changed in an instant as Jesus rose from the dead. And if you're a Christian here today, can you say that same thing? Can you say, I just can't help but speak about the difference Jesus makes to my life. About the fact that he saved me when I was in a desperate circumstance. Can we not stop speaking about what we've seen and heard? Now, I'm not saying you've got to be weird about it, trying to sort of just instantly twist every conversation to talk about Jesus. It's, it's, it's making the most of the opportunities that God gives us. It's having an answer for when people ask us questions. It's showing Jesus in our speech, in the way we live our lives. It's a key reason we exist as a church, isn't it? It's there in our kind of the, the core kind of uh, convictions of what we're here to do. We're here to tell the gospel, to tell people the good news about the, their lives can be changed because of Jesus. So, just encourage you really today to, to, to be encouraged by this passage. And to, to encourage each other to move beyond our fears, to grow in confidence, to talk about our Saviour who cares for us and is powerful to save us. I'm sure that would have happened, wouldn't it, for, for Jairus, for this woman who was healed. Opportunities to explain what had happened, why his daughter was suddenly out of bed and walking around, why she was healed part of society again. And doing that with no shame, their lives have been changed. Jesus is the one who had done this. Jesus is the one who changed me, who gave us hope. You can imagine them sharing that with other people, can't you? Well, surely we can do that too. He has changed us. He has given us new life and great hope. I know it's really hard. Uh, At the prayer meeting this week, we were praying about evangelism, and, and it's hard to share the gospel. The world is turning away from Jesus, and we think, well, I just don't know what to say to people. We need to pray, don't we? The Spirit would guide us, for, that we'd be bold, that we'd be confident. Uh, because actually, if we belong to Jesus, we don't need to fear. And we have a great message to share. Hope it's encouraging. Hope that's an encouraging story to look at today. To see Jesus, his great love for us, his care for us, his power is wonderful. Shall we pray and give thanks? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful accounts uh, from the life of Jesus. Thank you that you help desperate people. Lord, would you convict us, would you remind us of, uh, of where our sin leaves us, in desperate need of your love and your care. And would you humbly just lead us to, to, to kneel at Jesus' feet, to confess our sin, always to trust your grace and mercy, to to know the salvation that comes through Jesus' death and resurrection. Please, would that be more real to us, Lord? Thank you for the testimony of Pippa's mum, right to the end, holding firm, knowing she was safe and secure in you. Would you help us to know that too, and to, to reflect that, to share that with others, to have that great confidence and boldness in sharing your good news? Please be with us, we pray. Amen.